Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. To behold your Word, we pray that our hearts are changed into that very same image from glory to glory, as by the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, everyone under the sound of my voice is blessed, edified, strengthened, and encouraged by the power of the spoken word and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Can we rejoice in this atmosphere of praise and thanksgiving? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I believe we can do that better for Jesus, for Jesus, the lover of our soul, the King's man, Redeemer. Woo! Glory to God forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Have your seat in God's presence. Welcome your neighbor to church, your neighbor to your right and to your left. Give a sincere compliment. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are you excited to be in God's presence? There's no better place to be. You know that, right? There's no better place to be than in the presence of God. The face of Jesus has been quite a transformational teaching series. The last couple of Sundays... They've been really remarkable because the Lord has been so benevolent with his revelation, with his knowledge. He's been furnishing our hearts with more and more of himself. And that's the best gift you can receive from him. The best thing you can receive from God is not something from God. It is God himself. All right? It's not something from him. So when God told Abraham, he was giving him the best deal ever. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And Abraham looked at his environment and questioned that statement. He said, well... I don't have a child. You don't need to have anything to prove that you have God. <laughs> God is everything you need. The Bible says he's before all things. And by him, all things consist. He's the first fruit of all the creation. That is, if you have him, there is nothing else that does not consist in him. He's the fullness of everything. He's the fullness of everything. So the knowledge of God is the height. He's the height of anything you can possess. He's the highest excellent possession that any man can have. Praise the name of the Lord. And so today, by God's grace, we'll go a little deeper into the Word of God as we begin to explore more in the face of Jesus. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 from verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters, and then God said, Let there be light. Amen. And the Lord said, Let there be light. Uh-oh. <laughs> Praise God. Let there be light. That, that, that was a geographical earth. That was the oikomena. That was the earth that the devil had fallen onto because the devil came with darkness. All right, the, the earth that God created in Genesis 1-1 had no darkness in it, had no voidness in it. All right, there's nothing God does that needs rehabilitation. God perfects whatever he does. Everything God did in Genesis 1, as we would later see, if you, you know, continue to read through, you see that everything God created was good. And so when he created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1-1, it was good. But of course, a lot happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, in between which was when the devil Lucifer fell to the earth and came with his darkness. It was his darkness that corrupted the reality and the structure of the earth. And then it became formless without substance. 
and with darkness. Do you see what I'm saying? And then God began to reconstruct that falling world. And he started that reconstruction by installing light. And that light didn't come from an external source like Kanji Dam. That light came from him. The face of Jesus brooded upon the face of the earth and light erupted. Praise the name of the Lord. We spoke about that extensively in the very first installment. If you have not listened to that, go ahead and listen to that first installment. And last week as well, the end of the promise. Very profound teachings. But what we need to understand here is the fact that, you see, what happened in Genesis 1 verse 2 is reminiscent of not just the physical earth, but the other types of soils that God deals with. And I'm going to explore what I mean. And so you see here that the devil came with his darkness and corrupted the earth. And so God needed to install lights to bring earth back to its original estate and so he started with creation put light in the creation created all the things animals seas uh, um, trees and all of that and then by the time he was going to create man he created man to sustain the development of the earth he had created and so he created light on the creation on the physical earth and then created light in adam to sustain the light that is in creation because without the light of Adam, everything will be subject to degeneracy. And so Adam was the sustainability of the earth. Adam was the system that God put in place to sustain the creation. So the moment Adam fell, it was not only Adam that fell. Creation fell along with Adam. Because the light of creation had fallen. So just before the model, which was Adam, could be sealed by some deep technological advancement, the devil struck and ensured that man fell. And once man fell, creation fell along with him. And then, of course, the devil became the god of this world because now the earth and the world became subject to the darkness of the enemy. So there was darkness in the geographical earth. God installed light, then installed man as the light to sustain the development of that earth. When man fell, that light was put out. And also creation fell. I'm going to explain all of this through the course of the teaching. And so you see that the, there, is, there, is, there is the physical earth and there is also the social earth. The earth is the Lord. And the fullness thereof, the world, the cosmos, different from the physical earth, and the people therein, it is the darkness in the people that puts darkness in the earth. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1, the Bible says, Arise, arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. He says, darkness shall cover the earth. And then it says, gross darkness, the people. So we see that the gross darkness in the people is what is translating as the darkness in the earth. The law of diffusion. Things typically flow from a region of higher concentration to a region of lower concentration. So the darkness in the people was gross. That is why the darkness in the earth was serious. If there was no darkness in the people, there would be no darkness in the world. So the moment Adam fell, creation fell with him. It was the darkness that Adam found himself that put creation in darkness. So the gospel is not designed for only human beings. 
The gospel is designated for creation. This is why the moment creation fell along with Adam, Bible says in Romans chapter 8, I believe verse 19, Bible says the Lord subjected the earth into vanity. Amen. So there was a creation that had light, lost it. There was a man that was supposed to be the social light that lost it. And because of the fact that he lost that light, creation fell with him. And then the Lord subjected creation in hope. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. The Bible says the earnest expectation, not just of human beings, but of all creatures. They are waiting and anticipating the manifestation of the sons of God. Because the Lord subjected creation unto vanity. Not willingly, not because creation wanted to be subject to vanity. Not willingly, but it was subject to vanity by the reason of the one, the Lord, who subjected the same in hope. In hope of the manifestation of the sons of God. So you need to understand the ripple effect of the light in your heart. There is a ripple effect that the light you carry has on creation. The ripple effect is not just on your finances. That is the immediate effect. Not the, the ripple effect gets to the very ends of creation. Because creation is waiting for sons to arise. Arise in revelation knowledge. So God started the reconstruction from creation to man. The restoration can only happen from man to creation. So the order of creation is different from the order of restoration. Created earth, created man, man fell, he can't restore earth without restoring man. So the restoration of the earth and creation started with man. It doesn't end with man. There I have light. So, how was the devil able to penetrate and get Adam to lose the estate that God had given unto him? How? By separating him from the face of Jesus. Because the software that was designed by God for Adam to use to sustain creation was in the daily conversations was in the daily interface, was in the daily communion and fellowship that Adam had with God. The moment he lost access to that communion, creation lost hope. And so, listen, what the devil wants to steal from you is not a car. What he wants to steal from you is not your money. What he wants to kill you with is not the fact that he wants to kill you and make you lose life. He wants to kill you by separating you. How did he kill it down? In the day you eat of this, you shall surely die. Death to a man is not physical death. Death is separation. Separation from the life of God. From the eternal life. And so what the devil wants to steal from you is your intimacy with God. What he wants to kill is your relationship with God. What he wants to destroy is your fellowship with the Father. That is everything. So if he can touch your car and it will affect your relationship, he will touch your car. If you can touch your money and it will affect your fellowship, it will touch your money. If you can touch your career and it will affect your fellowship, he will touch them. He will touch everything he can touch. Like he touched everything he could touch on Job. But glory to God, Job said, if I perish, I perish. He said, you know what? I am willing to go through this path. I know the path that he takes me through. When, he's come out, when I come out of this path, he says, I will come out as gold. 
Because Job understood that, you see, this is the real thing the devil is trying to attack. Not just what I have. Everything you have is disposable. It is the knowledge of God that is not disposable. How the devil attacked Adam was by separating him from the life of God. Separated him from the life of God in him. So, creation fell because the light in the man that was supposed to sustain creation had been extinguished by the invasion of darkness. And so, God's plan to restore creation cannot start with creation. It starts with the redemption of man. Amen. And so, that plan to restore man took a few thousands of years. And so, meanwhile, God was trying to communicate to mankind. But because mankind didn't have the facility to receive the knowledge of God, he had to make do with the spectacular. The spectacular is not a commendation for the Old Testament patriarchs. It was a reflection of God's limitation in communicating with them. So until he manipulated the environment, they couldn't see that God was speaking. Until he manipulated the weather, they couldn't see that God was speaking. Because they had no capacity in them to receive a prompting from the Spirit. No capacity. So the face of Jesus is the inheritance of Israel. And here, as long as he's a child, differs not from a slave. Even though he is Lord of all, so therefore he is put under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. The heir there is not necessarily just a person, it is mankind. Mankind for the first 4,000 years after the fall were still a child until the time appointed of the Father for Jesus to be released. So the law was a tutor and it was a governor. The law was designed for behavioral modification, not internal transformation. Because people could not be transformed. They didn't have the capacity because they couldn't behold the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus was tantamount to death. God looked at Moses, you want to see my face? That's death, equal to death. The pursuit of God was equivalent to death. But here on the other side of the cross, the pursuit of God is equivalent to life. So when John 10.10 tells you that the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life. Everything the devil does is in response to deprive you from that life. Everything the devil does to steal, kill, and destroy is to affect and compromise the power of that life that Christ has come to give unto you. So for the first 4,000 years thereabout, mankind was still a child. It needed the tutoring and the governorship of the law to help him at least be able to relate with the similitude of God. To be able to relate with the similitude. So the real inheritance is not a promise. It's relationship. It's fellowship. It's the knowledge of God. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 for Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham can come unto the Gentiles, and so that we can receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. What is the purpose of the promise of the Spirit? Ezekiel 39 verse 29, he says, No longer will I hide my face from them, because now I have poured out my Spirit upon the house of Israel. The Spirit's designation is to help you behold the face of Jesus. 
So the promise of the Spirit is to engineer worship, is to engineer fellowship, is to help us commune. That is our inheritance. Your inheritance is not a thing. Your inheritance is not a thing. Anything you have as an inheritance will perish. Only the knowledge of God will last forever. Your inheritance is not a thing. That is what all the patriarchs sought to look into. They couldn't find it. Even angels have limited knowledge of this thing. The Bible says they are always attempting to look into what the Lord has revealed to his sons. But the best they can be is hairs, or rather, is uh, what, what do you call them in Hebrews chapter 1? He has made his angels flames of fire and in his ministers. How does he put it there? He's his ministers flame of fire. And so the, the, the angels are designed to minister to them who are designed to be called the heirs of salvation. The best they can do is to service our relationship with him. They don't have the equivalent of what we have. The inheritance you need is not a thing. I need you to understand this. This is the bane of your Christian walk. This is the real deal in spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not about the, the, the devil killing you. It's about the devil separating you. That's spiritual warfare. And you still understand it eventually. So when we're talking about knowing God, this is not a matter of, it's a matter of life and death. This is your life. Knowing God is everything. Don't you understand? Everything about the children of Israel was about how they were close or distant from God. That was everything. Moses would come and say, you guys have been stiff-necked, you have been far. Even though they had everything they could have asked for in terms of the spectacular manifestations of God. You can't be more privileged than the children of Israel in witnessing the miraculous power of God. You can't. Do you, do you understand what it means for the Red Sea to part? They were not descending into a valley because of the Red Sea part. There is a sea depth they ought to descend into. But that depth elevated to accommodate them to walk on a straight line. Do you understand that? And the seabed is murky, is muddy, is not tired. The Lord tired it. So they could walk not on just land, on dry land. Do you understand what that means? And all the fish had to go on vacation just observing the glory of God. And Bible says, and the Egyptians are sailing to just venture into the same dimension of God's glory. Bible says they were overtaken by the sea and by the flood. So you can't be more privileged than those stiff-necked people. So you can't credit them for the miracles. You can't say it's because they were spiritual that they saw the supernatural. The pursuit of the supernatural in terms of the spectacular now. It doesn't speak of your spirituality. It speaks of your carnality. The spectacular and the supernatural should be a consequence of your intimacy. It should be a reaction of the earth. It should just be the fact that the earth is reacting to the fact that this guy knows God. The earth is reacting. The earth is just accommodating the fact that this one is a person who knows God. That is what it means to manifest as a son. So, the light in creation was dimmed. The light in Adam was dimmed. And it was because the light in Adam was dimmed that the light in creation was dimmed. So, Isaiah 60 tells us the progression. How that it is the gross darkness in the people that causes darkness in the earth. And how that our own light has come. And that the glory, and when you talk about glory, it's talking about the face of Jesus. Because, you see, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
is only found in the face of Jesus. The glory has come upon you. And that is what will attract Gentiles and kings to the brightness of your rising. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. The Bible says, those that fear the Lord. He says, upon them shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And the Bible says, and they shall go forth and grow like calves in the stall. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. The Bible says, wherefore seeth it, awake thou that sleepest, rise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. So the social light that Matthew 5 verse 16 tells us begins with the inter internal transformation. It begins with the light that is resident in the face of Jesus in your heart. You can't be the light of the world, the cosmos, which will eventually translate to the restoration of the creation. Because like I said, the gospel is not only designed for human beings, it was also designed for the purpose of restoring all things at the end of the age. So the revelation knowledge you get in the bedroom, in the corner of your house, has a ripple effect on creation. It has a ripple effect on creation. Because the Bible says the earnest expectation. The trees are still waiting. The seas are waiting. Do you remember in the prophetic books, you see how that a lamb, a lion, and a child would cohabit in the same place. That's the restoration of creation. Hey. 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 Eliko tagigataya. Can you pray in the spirit for one minute, two minutes? The knowledge of God is the height of attainments. I press towards the mark of the high call of God in Christ. The mark is the excellent knowledge. The mark is not a thing. The mark is not any award a man will put on your head. The mark is the knowledge of God. That's the mark. I press toward that mark. So when man fell, man fell beneath the glory. Hi. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. They no longer could behold the face of Jesus. That's what they fell short of. And until Christ made that bridge possible for man to access God, no man could see the face of Jesus. Because we fell short of it. The law was to help keep humanity in a state that they could still be restored. So the law was just a tutor and a governor until Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, purifies to the sanctifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through his eternal spirit, offered himself without spot unto God, purge your conscience from dead works, so you can truly serve the living God? Service was impossible under the law. Everything they did, they were just, they were just, God was just condoning the state of man and still gave them some sort of a leeway, a way to just connect with a similitude. Nobody really, really could serve God because they didn't know God. Nobody could worship God because they didn't know God. You can't worship who you do not know. You can't serve who you do not know. The Bible says it is the blood of Jesus that facilitates our active service. 
We can serve the living God because the blood purged us, gave us access. Are we still together? So we see that there was a physical earth that fell. There was a social earth that fell because an individual man fell. And the pathway to the restoration of the creation is begins with the restoration of that man. So if I come from Canada to Nigeria or to PowerPoint tribe, I, I'll leave Canada, enter into Africa, then come to Nigeria, then into Lagos, and into Fadei, and then into PowerPoint tribe. I can't get to Canada without passing through that same route, however, backwards. I have to start with Fadei, then to Lagos, and then to Nigeria, Africa, before I can get to Canada, isn't it? And so creation is the ultimate end of restoration. We just start the process. Praise God. And it is our intimacy with the Father that regulates the quality of light that we shine forth. It's our intimacy with the Father. How many of you know that the reason why the earth has not gone up in smoke is because of the presence of the church. You know that? The moment the church leaves this earth, I'm up for earth. It's called the things that can be shaken will be shaken. And the things that cannot be shaken will remain steadfast. The reason why the earth has not gone up in smoke is because there's someone called he that restrains. It's the Holy Spirit. He inhabits the church. The moment the church is harvested from this earth, head has no other preservative. It will capitulate. We are the salt indeed. This is why Ephesians 4 talks about how we must grow into him in all things. How we must come to a particular measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. To the degree that we do that, we preserve earth. So every darkness you see in the earth is a reflection of the darkness in the people responsible for light. So the church responsible for light have perhaps gone asleep on their duties. That is why there is so much darkness in the earth today. The Lord will never judge the earth for the darkness of the earth. He will judge the earth. He will judge the people who are responsible for transmitting light into the earth for failing on their duties. We are the light of this world. We are the salt of the earth. Creation is thankful to us. But there is a full restoration ahead of us. Amen. So the church, you need to understand that. So what regulates the power of the church is their intimacy with Jesus. Is the knowledge, the measure of the stature of the fullness. Amen. So what hinders people from knowing God intimately? And that's what we're going to be dealing with today. What are the things that hinder people from knowing God? So the title of my teaching this morning is Ascension Protocol. Ascension Protocol. How do you ascend? How do you get to that mount called Zion? Bulakati Gaya. Psalms 24. Psalms 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the floods. How did he do that? By the light in the face of Jesus, isn't it? All right? That's how he established it on, on, 
on the floors and founded upon the seas. But he says, the Lord has come down to restore the earth. But the sustainability of our realities on earth is dependent on who will ascend. The Lord has descended. <laughs> but who will ascend unto the heel of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and pure heart, who has never lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. This is the only person that fulfills the criteria of the one who can receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is a generation of them that seek thy face, that seek thee, O God of Jacob. However, man has nobody who really fits into that profile except the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So he is the one that gives us the perfect access to enter into the heel of the Lord. Remember in Mount Sinai, no man could as much as approach, even a goat could not approach Mount Sinai because there were angels that stood guard. If any animal approached that mount, they were thrust through with a dart. Not a man, an angel, they will kill that thing because nothing was allowed within a certain radius of that particular mountain. They couldn't even... Yeah. The Bible says Jesus came. He's our high priest who has passed into heaven. Seeing that we have a high priest who has what? Passed into heaven. We have what? Strong consolation. And he says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace. The help in the time of need. So Jesus gives us that access. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Amen. And that peace was brokered by Jesus Christ. But you see, Jesus, what he does is that he brings us to the foot of Mount Zion. He doesn't carry us up the hill. The foot that nobody could even approach before, that's the beginning point. But God does not dwell in the valley of indifference. You can be saved and not be transformed. It's called the valley of indifference. God does not stay at the valley of indifference. You've got to ascend. Ay, 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 ay. God finds you to save you. You find God to get transformed. Did you hear what I just said? For you to be saved, it is God that does the finding. But for you to be transformed, you have to do the finding. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13. Bible says, you will find me after you have searched for me. With all of your heart. That is how transformation is brokered. You don't stumble on transformation. Anyone who knows God found him out. Anyone who has any understanding about revelation, knowledge about Jesus Christ, you couldn't have stumbled on it in a pizza joint. You searched for it with all your heart. No man can come to him except my father draws him. God finds you to save you, but you'll be the one to find God to get transformed. Are you with me? <laughs> so, God, Jesus, based on his sacrifice, puts us at the foot of the mountain. But the ascension is our business. <laughs> Who shall ascend? And then he begins to talk about some gates. How many of you read that? And of course there is a parallel interpretation to be what happened in hell. When Jesus was about to leave hell and he spoke to the gates of hell. Lift up your heads. But there is also the interpretation of that particular scripture regarding your personal transformation. So, in order for the king of glory to invade your privacy, some gates have to be lifted. 
some gates have to be lifted. And if you notice the thing about the gates is that they are very defiant and proud. Who is the king of glory? Ah. Eh? Well, that's exactly what you do every time you refuse the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is a proud attempt to silence the king of glory. That gates, gates that limit your ascension. Who is the king of glory? And the gates have to be educated. The Lord, strong and mighty. So Lord, mighty in battle, lift up your head, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors of stubbornness, pride, and arrogance. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is. So there are gates that must be taken away if you will ascend. Anyone who does not ascend onto the Mount of Transfiguration, where God is, Mount Zion, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situations, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion, side of the north. You don't locate it without climbing. You don't locate it without ascending. You can't stay on the same plane and find God. God is not found in the rubbles in the valley. He's found on the peak of the mountains. That's where you find him. North side, city of the great king. But there are some things that will not allow you to climb. Everything can be summed up as pride. Everything. But I will explain them in three levels. Those gates are proud gates. This is what the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. When it begins to talk about strongholds, those are the gates. The weapon of our spiritual warfare, they are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds. What are those strongholds? It's not that village in the, it's not that wicked witch in the village. What are those strongholds? Casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity those gates. Those strongholds, bringing them into captivity to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You subject those things under captivity. If you don't subject them, they will separate you from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They will separate you from it. The first thing is pride, self-importance, and assumption. They will limit your understanding of God and stop you from ascending onto the hill. Pride, self-importance, and assumption. What is pride? Every time God defined pride, it was always relative to his word. Many of us define pride by how people behave with us. That's not how to define pride. Pride is always defined relative to God's word. Amen. So pride is the inaccurate perception of man relative to God. The inaccurate perception of man relative to God's word about that man. That's pride. <laughs> Self-importance. Assumption. Those are the things that limit our ability to ascend. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We need to run. How many of you were blessed by that short charge? Powerful, powerful. Can you celebrate the gift of God? Amen. 
Praise God. First Timothy chapter 6. Verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Bible says that that man, Bible says unto the doctrine which is according to godliness, that man is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strives of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, even summaries. So pride is always defined relative to how a person relates with God's word. How do you relate with God's word? If you don't relate with God's word with awe, splendor, honor, you are proud, sir. It doesn't matter if you prostrate for your junior. That doesn't matter. That, that, that's not the point. Do you receive God's word the way it comes? James chapter 1, Bible says from verse 22, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. He says, therefore, laying aside every superfluity of naughtiness, receive the word of God, the engrafted word of God. What is the disposition of reception? Meekness. That's how you receive the word. That's your disposition. And that's why when you come to church and you don't plan to write, you are proud. There is no way you know something and you must... See, listen. What, the sign that you know is that you write it again. If you don't write it and you assume you know, you never knew. Oh dear. The word of God is so living that even the repetition is not the same. Hey! That is, even if you hear the same thing again, you heard it in a different way. It came with a new light. It's not the same. So you write it again. You meditate on it again. You memorize it again. You understand it again. It's a sign that you really are in love with this word. Because pride is always defined relative to the word of God. If a man does not consent to the wholesome words of Jesus, even the doctrine that is according to godliness, he is proud and knows nothing. Doting about it questions. Doesn't know anything. So you see, there are a lot of ministries that are established in this ideology of questions and strife and questioning one Greek, one Hebrew and telling you about what somebody said that is not right. Instead of you to preach the truth, you are preaching what some people say this is how it should be but that's not it some people say this is how it should be but that's not it what, how should it be what are you really teaching people in your <laughs> amen instead of telling them how not to be how about you tell them how to be like, like what we learned earlier today how about you just go and preach the truth and stop talking about what others are preaching that is away from truth what is truth how I teach a man how to recognize a fake dollar note is not by showing him all the possible fakes. It's by just getting him entrenched, established in the original. If he understands how the original feels, the moment he hears or sees or feels something that is adulterated, he notices immediately. He doesn't have to be schooled in those ones. He's only schooled in one, the genuine. So you establish people in doctrine of Christ. They know how to pick from the rubbish. They know. Just establish people in the doctrine. Establish folks in the doctrine. Alright? That is how we decode pride in a man. Assumptions. He, he assumes he knows. David said, search me, O God. If there be any wicked way in me, 
and lead me in the path everlasting. He does not assume he's standing with God. He's always asking God, vex me. Check me out once again. I may have error in my heart. I may not know, but you can reveal it to me. I'm not going to assume that I'm standing. I'm going to tell you, Lord, vex me, scan me. Even if there's just one tiny little cell that wants to go away, get it back on the path everlasting. Lord, examine me. Evaluate yourselves whether you still be in the faith. You see, some people go several years, they never went for a retreat to understand whether they are still in the faith. It's a sign of pride. You are assuming that because you were a pastor on campus, you would always be in tune with God. No, sir, the world is so deliberate about distracting you, but you are not deliberate about staying on track. Come on now. Pride, self importance, and assumption to limit you, sir. You have to throw it away. Remember that our series, The Bible of Faith. How do we look unto Jesus? Laying aside every weight and everything that doth so easily beset. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's how we do it. You lay it aside. You lay it aside. The proof that you know God is not in more encounters, it's in changed hearts. <laughs> Encounters don't change people. The revelation of Jesus in your heart does. And so I can have a bunch of people come around and I will still get there. Oh dear Lord, help me. Help me. So ask yourself that question. Is there still pride in me? The first darkness that entered this earth. The Bible says iniquity was found in him. Pride is the darkest of all errors. It's the darkest. Once pride was found in Lucifer, he entered into a place he could never return from. He was taken away from his original estate, cast onto the earth, and he covered the entire earth. One man's darkness covered the whole earth in darkness. One man, he invaded the earth, and everywhere was corrupted with darkness. And so how he will begin to separate you from the life of God is by suggesting to you and trying to penetrate into your heart that subtle injection of pride that would also begin to get you separate and alien, alienated rather, from the commonwealth. Praise the name of the Lord. The degree to which you gravitate towards and value his word is the degree to which you are humble. The higher you go in the things of God, the humbler you become. Bible says, Jesus speaking in Matthew 28, he says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. Sorry, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest to your souls. Psalms 119 and verse 130, Bible says, the entrance of your word brings light and understanding only to the simple, to the humble. If you're a man who does not know how to receive from God, you're not humble, ah, it will limit your ascension. Limit your ascension. Pride. Self-importance and assumption. James chapter. Oh dear Lord, help us. Help us today. Help us today. James chapter 5. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James is immediately after Zephaniah. When you get to Zephaniah, just check the next book. You see James there. James chapter 4, Bible says in verse 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourself therefore 
to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The resistance of the devil is the submission to his word. How you resist the devil is not by facing the devil, it's by submitting to his word. So he says, submit yourself under the mighty hand of God, resist the devil and he will flee. Draw nigh unto God, ascend unto that hill, and he will draw near unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. That's what Christ has come to do, but we must walk in that light. Amen. Because that is actually how to stay humble, to focus on the word. To stay in the word. That's how you stay humble. Amen. Ask your neighbor. You humble so? <laughs> As I see your face, you, you should say you're humble like this. <laughs> Some people are too fine to be humble. They're just fine. You can't be humble the way you're fine like this. <laughs> see some people with beard gangs. Everything is just too sh- How can you be humble? You arrive at the place, everybody just, ah, ah, it's too much pride. Shoulder pad. Some guy with a lovely beard gang is looking at me and smiling. It's you I'm talking about. <laughs> He's shy. Don't worry. Let's not, let's not. Let's, let's get back into the word. Amen. Praise God. James 4, 6. But it gives more grace. We need to move right now. Second thing, right? Second thing. That you, you see, those things, like I said, they are gay to pulling down strongholds. Strongholds of pride. Self-importance and assumption. That is actually how you submit them under the authority of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you begin to ascend onto the hill. Fire. Second thing is self-preservation. Self-preservation. Listen, the devil will weaponize your flesh, weaponize self-care. He will hide behind the veil of your flesh and yourself and let you continue to depart from the path of life. Because Jesus was legitimately hungry. But you see, he was hungry and he was thirsty. But within that veil of trying to self-care and ensure he does not die and at least he's taken care of the devil came and snuck in under the disguise of I'm caring for your flesh it turned these stones to bread bread is for eating eat this bread and leave there's no man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God so, listen, your flesh can be the greatest weapon of the enemy in your life. Yourself, self-preservation. At least it's okay, it's not bad to have a good job. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you do not understand how to discern the will of God, the devil can weaponize your self-care to get you out of line with the will of God for your life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. How did the devil, dis- how did he destroy the lives of Adam and Eve? He didn't say, I want to destroy your life. I want to separate you from the life of God. He came with the voice of someone who actually cares. God doesn't want you to know. Don't worry. He doesn't want you to be as wise as he is. When you eat of this, you will be wise. You will be like God. You will be able to understand between good and evil. He doesn't want you to have access to that. And so he's advising you to care for yourself. Hey. Be careful. Hey. Be careful. Because your true self, you don't know it. Only the word can reveal your true self to you. Hey, 
So what you think you are protecting like yourself is really not yourself. Let me show you what yourself looks like. James chapter 1 again. You really need to understand what I'm about to share with you right now. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 18. I would rather not quote these things. I would like you to see it. Bible says, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Ah, that is how you were born again. You were born again by the word of truth. Your DNA, your real self is locked up in the word. You didn't get that oh. Hi. You were born again. Uh, where is it again? James 1.18. Bible says, of his own will begatting us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creature. So you were born by the word. Let's go to verse 22. Be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Ah. Read it. Read it in. Let's read it in Amplified or NLT. Let's check NLT quickly. Quickly. We need to run. James 1.22. Check Amplified first. Amplified. Amplified classic. Amen. Oh dear. You're dulling me, huh? Okay. Let me check with my phone. Amen. <laughs> Can you laugh? Amen. Can you laugh some more? <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Amplified classic edition. Bible says, James 1.18. Uh, where is it? James 1.22. Fantastic. He says, but be doers of the word. Obey the message and not merely listen to it. Betraying yourself. You betray yourself every time you disobey the word. The word is the real user. Hi. So what you are, when you try to preserve yourself, you are discouraging yourself. You are betraying yourself. Self-preservation. I want to eat when the Lord says it's to fast. Fasting is what you should do, else you betray yourself. You get it, sir. Aha, you do. Hey. He says, betraying yourself into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. Ha. How many people are living betrayed lives here? Betrayed lives. They think they are living their life. You know, the way there is a language, <laughs> I'm living my life. And you guys should free me. It's my life. If your life is not in the word, you are betraying that life. There is a commitment you must have to the word of truth. That is the commitment to your life, to yourself. Oh dear. Then look at what it begins to say again. It says, for if any man only listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, it's like a man who looks carefully at his own natural face in the mirror. For he thoughtfully observes himself and then goes off and promptly forgets what he was like. He says, but he who looks carefully into the faultless law, the law of liberty, because you are your freest in the word. 
You are your freest. You enter into the dimension of your real identity when you stay and obey and dwell inside the word. And he said he's faithful to it and he perseveres in looking into it because it will require perseverance. Several things will try to stand in between you and staying in the word. He said you must persevere and stay into it. Looking into it. Be not a heedless listener who forgets but an active doer who obeys. He shall be blessed in his doing. In his life of obedience. When you look into the perfect law of liberty, you are looking at your real self. The mirror in your house does not tell you who you really are. The mirror of the word. And this is why as we behold with an open face the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord God. Hey! So the reason why we look for God is to find us. So you say you, have to, you go for seminars to discover yourself. You are discovering the wrong things. Whatever you discovered is not you. The only thing that can reveal you to you is the word. The moment Peter found who Jesus Christ was, Jesus said, eh, you know me. I am now obliged to tell you who you really are. You are Peter. For a long time, Peter didn't know he's really, who he really was. His parents called him Simon. Easily shaken by the wind. But the moment he found who Christ was, Christ looked at him and said, uh-huh, you are ready to know who you really are now. Some of you are too in a hurry to discover yourself. All those things you are discovering, they are false. Find Jesus first. Find his word. Find his truth. Else you are living a betrayed life. Imagine a man betraying himself. You betray other people. How can you betray yourself? That's the reality of a man who is not in the world. He lives a betrayed life. So, self-preservation is a weaponization of the enemy. So, it tells you preserve yourself. After all, your child is at home. He has not paid his school fees. And this money has entered into the office. Sort yourself out. Preserve yourself. But that's not what the word tells you to do. So, the moment you do that, you just betrayed. Betrayed yourself. Only those who live in the word. Live true lives. Hebrews, or rather John chapter 8 and verse 31. The Bible says he spoke unto the ones who already believed in him. And he told them, he says, if you continue in my word. So liberty is not just for the saved. It's for the continuers. <laughs> Those who continue. John chapter 8 and verse 31. Then spoke Jesus to the Jews which already believed. So you may be saved, but if you don't continue, ah, there's no freedom. All right? Amen. This is the word. I'm not using Greek or Hebrew. This is the word of God. And there's nothing wrong with all of that. Sincerely, I, I know some, maybe not as much as P. Mike, but I know some Greek and Hebrew, but that, that's really not to say that it's wrong to use all of that. But understand, God's word is so simple, but you need revelation knowledge to understand it. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. But these things are there on the pages of Scripture. Then said Jesus to those who already believed on him, if you continue in my word, so you can believe and not continue. A lot of believers don't continue. That's why they are not free yet. 
If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed? You can be a believer, but are you a disciple? They believed, but they didn't continue. Continuing is what guarantees that you're a disciple. 32 is what everybody quotes, but they don't understand that 31 is the reason for 32. And you shall know the truth. Semicolon after indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Because when you enter the truth, you enter your real self. What, what do you tell people that come to your house for the first time? Say, feel free. Be yourself. Because in your real identity, can you truly find freedom? So when you enter into the garment of the word, you just entered your real garment. That's where you belong. You were born again, not by a corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed of God's word that lives and abides forever. That's what gave birth to you. To the degree that you are consistently following after that path, it is to that degree that you are consistent. It is to that degree that you have your identity. It is to that degree that you are free. The last thing I'll be sharing with you. So, self-preservation. So, that which you call self is really not self. Yourself is in the word. Have we agreed on that? Uh, and that would never lead you astray. So, <laughs> the other self tells you to turn stones to bread. But the real self says, you live by the word. Live by the word. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word. Hallelujah. The last thing that hinders people from getting into the presence of God is the glorification of inferior manifestations of God. Yes. The glorification of inferior manifestations of God. The highest manifestation of God is His Word. I'll say that again. I can say that as many times as you need me to say it for you to understand. The highest manifestation of God is his word. The highest manifestation of God is his word. The highest manifestation of God is his God showed me this in clear terms. On campus someday, a lot of people were going to a particular conference. A very big man of God, I withdraw his name. Nothing against him. I love him so much. He was coming to town. Two of them were coming to town. Powerful conference, powerful meeting. All the pastors on campus were going. If you are not going, something was wrong with you. As I was about to step out of my room, God said, Why are you going to? I didn't tell you to go down. Stay here. They both, ah, that guy, ah, word, ah, let me go. They said, I want to show you. I want to sit with you in my word. And you are going for an inferior manifestation of me. Because no matter what that person tells you, is second hand. He has stepped it down with something in him before he serves you. And that's the truth with me, with me as well. So you have to glorify your time in the word than the time you use in listening to Apostle Selman, to Pastor Dami, Pastor Daly. Do you understand what I just said? You can't afford to glorify an inferior manifestation of God's word. The revelation of God in your heart is the most superior manifestation of God to you. So God told me, sit down there, let me speak to you one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. I don't want a Moses in between us. I don't want anybody to step it down. And I sat down there, and the things I received that night, I, I, I cannot even begin to tell you. I was so blessed. I didn't miss the meeting. I didn't miss it. I got the real deal. Every time you spend in between you and God, with no Moses as a mediator, 
There is only one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the face of Jesus. When you stay in that space, you are having koinonia. For 42 chapters, Job had been hearing about God from middlemen. I've been hearing about you with the hearing of the ear. But he says, for the first time, as if I've never seen you before. He says, I see you. No middleman anymore. I've been hearing about you with the hearing of the ear. Job 42 verse 5. But he says, now I see you. John chapter 6. Gosh, he, he told me, don't, don't glorify an inferior manifestation of me. It's a manifestation, but it's not the superior word. The day star rising in your heart is the most superior manifestations you can have. And it comes when you spend time in the word, meditating, receiving of his word. Personally. Amen. John chapter 6. Something profound really happened here. I, I will need to rush because we have a few minutes. Oh dear Lord. Amen. Ooh, it's a lot of scripture, but Let's push. Remember, Jesus in John 6 had turned loaves to bread. He had fed 5,000, right? Fed them with stuff. And they were happy. They were preserved. Their self was preserved with the bread that perishes. All right? And so, the next day, the day following verse 22, when the people which stood on the other side, before this time, Jesus had moved from the place he fed them. So, where he fed them was on this side. By the next day, he had moved to the other side. When the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that, the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, Neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? The last time they found him was when he was feeding them bread. They really were not interested in him. They were interested in the bread he could offer. So the last time they saw him was the last time they had a prayer point. By the time he moved, they didn't notice are there times in your life that the only times you call on God is the time you have the prayer point? You need a promotion. So the last time they saw him was when he satisfied their mouth with bread. And they were shocked that he had moved because they didn't stay with him. If you stay with him, you know when he moves. You know when he moves. They didn't know when he moved. By the time they found him again, they were like, ah, we thought you would be there at the station of supply. But you have moved. Jesus answered and said, He said, Verily I say unto you, you seek me not because, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth into everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we may walk the works of God, so that we can eat bread? That's the, that's the completion of that verse. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him, which he hath sent. Hi. Then said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou, that we may see and believe? What dost thou work? 
Our father did eat manna in the desert. It is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father gave you the, ah, the true bread from heaven. You know, a lot of times we credit the man of God with the miracles. The Bible says Moses, they were saying Moses gave people bread. You to do your own, show us that you are better. And, you are <laughs> and Jesus had to correct that narrative. He says, Moses did not give you anything. It was my father that gave you. Signs and wonders are supposed to be what they are called. Signs. Every sign should point to something greater. Imagine you see a, a, a billboard. This man coming to town and you begin to fellowship with the board. And you begin to love upon the board. I begin to love the board and care for the board. Every sign speaks to an event. Every sign speaks to an experience. Every sign speaks to a person. Miracles, the spectacular signs and wonders are inferior manifestations of God. That must never be our pursuit. They are signs that signals a greater one. The experience of Jesus. Can you imagine you're in front of Jesus, experiencing him? You're saying, show us a sign, separate from you. So he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. I am the true bread. He has already given you the true bread. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, everyone... Evermore, give us this bread. They never understood it. This same bread. And Jesus said unto them, he saw that they didn't get it. He said, I'm the bread of life. This, is this the bread you are really looking for? I'm the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe me not. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all of you which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise him up again on the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son that believeth on him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And the Jews murmured at him and said, I am the, because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, is not the, this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then? That he saith, I am come down from heaven. Jesus therefore answered and said, Murmur not amongst yourself. No man can come to me except my father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they shall be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and has learned of the father cometh unto me. Not that any man has seen the father. Save he which is of God. He hath seen the father. Verily, verily I say unto you. He that believes on me hath eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And this bread which I give is my flesh, ah, which I give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying, he, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat of the... Did he, he complicated it more. <laughs> except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and even drink his blood. You have no life in you. Who so eateth my flesh 
and drinketh my blood. Imagine that kind of a strange, weird conversation. Whoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh. is meat indeed. Woo, yummy. And my blood is drink indeed. Imagine he licked his lips while he was saying that. He that eateth my flesh, it's okay. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwells in me. Woo. And I in him. As the living father has sent me, and I live by the father, so he that eateth me. <laughs> I like Jesus. Even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your father did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. This is the rest that the Bible talks about in Hebrews 4. He swore by his rod that they will never enter into his rest. Even though they were receiving miracles and eating manna from heaven. They didn't eat of the true bread. This thing said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? And then what? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascending up where he was before, it is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who would betray him and all of that. Verse 65, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it is given of him by my Father. From that time, many of the disciples went back. They were not willing to continue. They believed on him, but they didn't continue. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus looked at the remaining 12. Ah, I like the security that Jesus has. He is not encouraged by popularity. You know, it's flesh for you to be encouraged by popularity. If there are two people in this house, I will still teach by God's grace. Of course, my flesh may be feeling discouraged, but if I kick into the spirit, it won't be discouraged. Jesus was willing to let go of all the thousands of followers he had. He fed 5,000, remember? 5,000 reduced to about 70. The 70 left him, and it was only 12 that was with him at this time, from 5,000 to 12 members in one day. Because they were not willing to upgrade and ascend. So it's, it's, it's not popularity. The word is the word. We won't dilute it for anybody. Will you also go away? Twelve. From five thousand. Won't people say that this man has lost his ministry? Won't they say this man, he must have offended God? If people leave because you intensified truth, let it be. If people come because you diluted truth, whoa, whoa. Woe to that person. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Revelation knowledge again. Revelation knowledge. To whom shall we go? Only thou hast the words of eternal life. It was Peter that married word and eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God. And Jesus, who is the word? Whom thou hast sent. Peter married the two dimensions. He says eternal life is the word of God. You alone are the words of eternal life. Every time you over glorify an inferior manifestation of God, 
you run the risk of losing God. This is why miracle centers, nobody can be established by miracles and signs. It's a sign, it's a miracle. Establishment comes with the experience. Every sign ought to point into an experience. And if people come because they want to eat bread, and you keep feeding them that bread that passes away, the day will come when that bread will not be able to sustain them. You can get a breakthrough and a miracle in a day. But in order to be established, you have to continue in the word. So we'll not come here and, and tell you in three months your life will change. Just be coming to this church. No. The shortest possible time I took a man to transform a people was two years. Two years of consistently teaching God's word in a school called Tyrannos, Ephesians. And Paul began to speak that word, began to teach for two years. And after two years, the Bible says, so mightily grew the word of God in the, in the city of Ephesus. And that word prevailed. Prevailed over strongholds, over gates, over adversity, over limitations. So you don't ascend in a hurry. You continue. You continue. You continue to grow. You continue to grow. You continue to ascend. You continue to ascend. You lay aside every superfluity of naughtiness. You receive the word of God with meekness in your heart. You remove pride, self-importance, assumption, self-preservation. Find yourself in the word. You stop glorifying inferior manifestations of God and begin to exalt the manifestation, the truest manifestation of God himself, which is Christ, which is his word. Hebrews chapter 1, Bible says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past, by the prophets. In these last days, he has chosen to speak by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. He being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. And I'll end on this note. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. This is the nature of the word of God. It is quick, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Bible says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest before him. Bible says that everything is naked and open unto the eyes of him before whom we must give account. The word can undress anything. You find yourself in a situation that is cloudy, misty, and you can't see clearly engineer revelation by the word. He will reveal everything to you. The word of God, Bible says, everything is naked before him. You can't be deceived if you're a man of the word. You can't. There's some people who shimari. You know what it means to shimari? To, to marry wrong. To shimari. You know, when I was growing up, the parents would say, Amuni shiwi. You are the one that makes people speak wrong. You're, you're just saying for the first time. Ah, Pastor, you guys are too sure about Gelo. Amunishiwi. That is, you are, you are provoking your mother to say something that she doesn't want to normally say. That's what they call shiwi, to say wrongly. So it's possible to marry. To marry wrong because you don't have the word in you. Everything is naked and bare before the word. But when you enter into the place of the word, you see things for their true identity. You can't be deceived. You walk in the light. Anything that must approach you has to enter light because you are in the light. So once it enters light, you see for what it truly is. But if you stay outside of the light, you can be easily deceived. You can shimari. Tell your neighbor, may you not shimari. It's a serious prayer. 
Father, we give you praise. We give you glory and honor. We thank you for the deluge of your word. We thank you for utterance. We thank you for revelation knowledge. We ask that everyone is blessed, edified, strengthened, and encouraged. We pray that we are established in this present truth and in all righteousness in Jesus' name. Can we celebrate Jesus? Celebrate Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Apologies to take a little bit more time than we normally do. But we don't apologize for being free. Because when we are in the word, we are free, isn't it? We have liberty. So uh, if you need an apology, you have it. Amen. All right, please give your offerings and your tithe. And let's move along in service. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Wow. What a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at PowerPoint Tribe.